You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The Spanish Defense Ministries reportedly hacked the Lazarus Group's life of crime. Facebook takes down coordinated inauthenticity. Add Lucky Elephant to the bad actor menagerie. It's harvesting credentials in South Asia. We've got notes on the ASIS supply chain backdoor, updates on Norsk Hydro's recovery from its Locker Goga infestation, and Russia says, hey, the Mueller report totally exonerates us too. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 27, 2019. The Spanish Defense Ministry's intranet has been affected by what is thought to be a cyber espionage attack aiming at stealing defense secrets. That's according to Reuters, since the ministry itself has been tight-lipped about the incident, but sources say that an unspecified nation-state is thought to be behind the activity. North Korean hackers are again in the news, with the Lazarus Group or associated actors continuing their efforts to redress the DPRK's financial shortfalls by theft and fraud. The UN panel of experts has finally reported on the looting of ATMs belonging to the Pune-based Cosmos Cooperative Bank last year. The thieves got the equivalent of about 13.5 million U.S. dollars in the campaign, which extended beyond India to 27 other countries. The UN panel concluded that the theft was motivated by Pyongyang. The India Times says that the Pune police and the Maharashtra cyber cell have made a dozen arrests, but haven't yet identified the mastermind behind the looting. Whoever the masterminds were, they're more likely to be found in Shinanju than in Pune. Kaspersky Lab has been tracking the Lazarus Group's evolving approach to cybercrime, and they think various tech startups, particularly those involved with cryptocurrency, are now more heavily represented than before on Pyongyang's target list. The Lazarus Group is said to be using custom PowerShell scripts, with command and control server scripts often disguised as WordPress files. Any immunity Mac users may have felt to the ministrations of DPRK hackers is no longer well-founded. The crooks know that a lot of tech startups are Mac shops, and they haven't forgotten about you Windows users either. 
Facebook has closed some 2,600 accounts for coordinated inauthentic behavior, that is, for illegitimate political influence operations. The accounts were based in Russia, Kosovo, Iran, and Macedonia. The accounts from Iran, for the most part, addressed audiences in Egypt, India, Indonesia, Israel, Italy, Kazakhstan, and various other places in the Middle East and North Africa. Facebook says that these actors, quote, represented themselves as locals and made up media entities, often using fake accounts, and they impersonated real political groups and media organizations, end quote. Their posts usually amplified material being pushed by Iranian state media with takes on Indo-Pakistani tension, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, fighting in Yemen and Syria, various Islamic religious topics, and the ongoing crisis in Venezuela. The accounts based in Russia, for the most part, had to do with Ukraine, allegations of corruption in Kiev, and the general righteousness of Russian claims to Crimea. The Balkan outfits in Kosovo and North Macedonia were mostly interested in representing themselves as members of American and Australian groups. Their topics were more anodyne, along the lines of what one might read in a grocery store checkout line, astrology, celebrity news, beauty tips, and political gossip. That choice of topics might be consistent with longer-term battle space prep, attracting followers who could be pumped with sunshine and swamp water at some appropriate later time. In any case, the takedown is more evidence that finding and checking inauthenticity might be an easier and more beneficial approach to influence operations than direct content moderation. After all, you wouldn't want to take down celebrity gossip, right? NetScout describes an ongoing credential harvesting campaign that appears to be prospecting, for the most part, South Asian governments. They call it Lucky Elephant and say that, quote, the attackers masquerade as legitimate entities such as foreign government, telecommunications, and military, end quote. NetScout researchers haven't observed any malware associated with Lucky Elephant so far, and so its activities appear at this stage to be concentrating on credentials. The targets include agencies in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, the Maldives, and Myanmar. Circumstantial evidence that might bear on attribution is too ambiguous to make a tentative call, but one of the IP addresses used, NetScout says, was used by the now apparently defunct Indian APT Do Not Team, one of the credential harvesting domains that had been earlier attributed to a Chinese government actor. Verizon recently released the 2019 version of their annual Mobile Security Index. The report surveys data from nearly 700 industry professionals to discover trends in mobile security and data use. Matthew Montgomery is a managing director in the Verizon Business Group. Last year's report, from my perspective, was somewhat of an aha. We had uh, many uh, briefings with customers, and we would be talking about their wireline cybersecurity you know, framework, and we would then ask those questions about how are you securing the edge? How are you ensuring that since more work may get done on a tablet than your laptop, how are you ensuring that that tablet has the same level of security? And I think the report in 18 really referenced that, and, and it was a, an aha moment. In fact, the big thing out of the 18 report was that more people, more organizations were nervous about losing access to their device versus data breaches, which to me was astounding, meaning work now is being done on a, at, a, at a mobile phone and tablet and, 
level that the business continuity component was huge. I think like 80% or something. So this year's data really continue to follow the same trend. So nothing really new. We did take a couple of steps back in that we expected since we had, you know, we had outlined and showcased some of the, the risks that these companies were facing. We expected them to take more aggressive action. And in some cases they haven't. So really the key findings is I would, I'd call it the mobile threat is real. Um, we've seen about a about 70% uh, were less confident in their, their own security around mobile device. And, and frankly, about 70% feel that the risk has also grown year over year. So affirmation back from our, uh, our customers. And the impacts were serious. That, you know, we're up about 5% year over year in terms of uh, organizations admitting um, a compromise on via mobile device. And then, um, and I think it was around 60% or so described that breach or compromise as major, and it had lasting um, repercussions. It's interesting to note, there's a fortune, I read this over the weekend, there's a fortune article out there um, that talks about the risk uh, to small businesses now. And, you know, more and more small businesses are doing their business from a mobile perspective. Hmm. They're they're using payment uh, technologies that are attached to tablets and how a simple breach could really destroy their business. I think our data spoke to that. The whole idea of employee misuse that really kind of stood out to me. 77% were confident they could spot employee misuse, uh, while 95% of the organizations had employees. They admitted accessing uh, accessing things like adult content, gambling areas, inappropriate areas. They felt like they had the right profiles and security, yet the, the involvement of public Wi-Fi grew year over year. So just the acknowledgement of the threat, the actions they're taking to mitigate the threat, yet we're still seeing the growth of the threat uh, increase on the mobile side. So uh, again, you know, a little bit more work to do, I think, on the organizational side, but certainly the uh, analysis of and understanding of uh, the findings that the report had, as well as the gaps in mitigation techniques are in place. Now, are you seeing uh, an alignment where when folks are recognizing that this is a growing threat, are they also increasing their funding and their spending on that side as well? Or is there a gap there as also? Well, it's a great question. And and about 70% said their mobile security spending was increasing year over year. So of the respondents, you know, we see the growth in mobile spending. Uh, so they are, they are, they are doing that. But, but then when you dig below the lines, okay, so yes, I'm going to spend more money. I may add threat detection. Uh, I, may, I may do something more aggressive with my container. I may, do, I may add more training for my employees about changing passwords and not using public hotspots and things like that. Only 12% had four of the most basic precautions in place. And that's, that was down year over year. I mean, so yes, they're increasing their spending, yet only uh, 12% had the four. And those basic things are like encryption, obviously, uh, stress testing your your security profiles, and restricting access. You know, that's really simple, common cybersecurity, you know, hygiene, um, even things like changing default passwords. So year over year, those, those four basic precautions actually went down, yet the dichotomy is, um, about 70% said they were increasing their mobile spend. That's Matthew Montgomery from Verizon. The report is the Mobile Security Index Report for 2019. Norsk Hydro has largely returned to normal operations after last week's Locker Goga ransomware attack. 
Production in its Extruded Solutions Division, one of the most affected by the attack, had yesterday reached 70 to 80 percent of normal capacity. The company is headquartered in Norway but operates internationally, and the attack disrupted operations in many places around the world. Secondary attacks, whether opportunistic or planned, remain a concern. Norsk Hydro warns against spoofs, urging anyone receiving an email that appears to be from Norsk should contact the company before taking any action the email might suggest. There seem to be some emails going out to customers, partners, and suppliers suggesting that they change their banking information. Norsk says you should ignore these requests. The aluminum manufacturer is sending out no such requests. Bogus communications could represent attempts to either spread the ransomware or defraud third parties through social engineering. And finally, Russian reaction to the U.S. Attorney General's letter to Congress outlining the conclusions of Special Counsel Mueller's investigation into election interference has generally been muted, but Moscow's been offering more of its opinions at midweek. Foreign Policy magazine has a discussion of the Russian take on the Special Counsel's investigation, and they say that the Kremlin, too, is claiming exoneration. But Moscow does so, one must observe, with far less justice than President Trump. The report the Attorney General rendered to Congress explicitly calls out Russian influence operations, and the special counsel's work resulted in indictment of 12 Russian intelligence officers, which hardly looks like exoneration. We're not lawyers, but we've seen TV, and extradite me if you can, Yankee, seems a pretty weak defense, but hey, innocent until proven guilty, right? In the meantime, if you've made a career in the Internet Research Agency, Think twice before honeymooning in the Maldives or changing planes and say, Guam. Pro travel tip, Chelyabinsk is lovely this time of year. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the VP of Research at Terbium Labs. You recently wrote a piece for The Next Web, and you were focusing on data collection here. Can you can you take us through what were you getting at? This article came out of a conversation I was having with someone uh, right after one of the many Facebook data breaches a few months ago, or you know, news of of misuse. Some are breaches, some are just negligence. Right. Uh, when someone asked me, "What could somebody have done to avoid this happening, or what could people do going forward to avoid being caught up in breaches?" And I made a joke, right? You know, they could not use Facebook, but they're not going to do that. Right. Uh, Because we get into situations with things like Facebook or these other tech giants where you can't really opt out. Now, this is certainly true for things like financial services. If you want to transact in the economy, uh, you have to participate in the economy. And so that's true for financial data. If you want to have a line of credit if you want to have money short of finding a bartering system where you're you're trading, you know, precious metals in exchange for uh, for dry goods, right. you have to give your information to financial services. Right. But we've extended that now. We've gotten to the point now where it isn't just financial services where you are forced to share data or where you are required to share data. Facebook has become this behemoth organization that for better or for worse, and we would say for worse in most cases, is the best way that people have to connect with their friends and family around the world. Right. Social media has become something people expect. They expect you to have social media accounts. They expect you to have email addresses. There's all of the convenience of shopping online. So there's more information there. You're not going to stop using e-commerce platforms. So there's more information. There's information being spread there. We think about things like entertainment services, whether you're sharing your information with a video streaming site or with your cable provider. Again, you're opting into sharing your data there. And none of these companies, none of them have you know, robust, ethical, uh, transparent data data sharing practices. Yeah, it, well, it seems like the the... The option, the, the non-option option they give you is either we're going to share your data or don't use our service. That's what it comes down to. You know, and, and you're lucky if you get that much from them. Right. You know, we, we see stories, you know, it feels like every other week now of some company being sued because they were sharing information. I just saw the, the Weather Channel right. is being sued because their app, they were sharing information with IBM and others in their, in their partnership network. 
And they come out and say, you know, in, in defense of, of their practices, well, you agreed to the user agreement. You checked the box on the privacy policy. And we we're very clear about the fact that we're doing this. And no one's reading all 18 pages of those. Yeah. Uh, there's some expectation that if you share your information with a company, they are going to use it to provide you the service that you have signed up for. And that's the end of it. But that's not happening because, again, data is a commodity. It's valuable. It's being monetized and not just by cyber criminals. You know, it's being monetized in the mainstream economy. It's fuel for the economy. And companies don't want you to focus on that because they require your data to, you know, make more money. Yeah. Well, is it all doom and gloom? I mean, are, do, do we, are, do we looking at um, pushes to maybe right this ship and get us going in the right direction? Certainly not an optimist in this camp. Yeah. I'm at best a pragmatist. Uh, the hmm. the one thing that I have that I'm holding on to, and, and I mentioned this in the article, is that we are all in this together. So because everyone is opting in, everyone is required to opt in, that means that no one is opting out. So it's not just you and me. It's politicians. It's world leaders. It's influential figures. It's people with resources. It's people who are also being hit by this. And the point at which one of them is unhappy and decides to devote resources to making it better, then we might see a change. But, of course, that also relies on those people deciding that data privacy is more important than profit. And I'm, I'm skeptical that that's going to happen. Mm. Well, the article uh, has the sunny title, Depressing Lessons, 2018's Endless Data Breaches Taught Us. It is over on the next web. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey, all Rick here. 
At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 